thank you for your donation to Corbono, a nonprofit organization dedicated to the study of Scripture according to the mind of the Catholic Church. If you like this talk, we invite you to share our website, www.corbono.com, with others so that together we may participate in the evangelization of the third millennium. Our speaker, Najim Awad, lives in San Diego, California with his wife and seven children and has been studying and teaching scripture since 1995. Najib believes the Catholic Church holds and teaches the fullness of truth, and with his tremendous zeal and insight, he is able to communicate that raw truth without sugarcoating the teachings of the Catholic Church. He also believes that our job is not to change the truth, but to communicate it clearly and directly to others. And now, here's Najib. So then, welcome again to this um, to the conclusion of our study of the Book of Deuteronomy. We've started actually this conclusion last week, and we're going to continue it next week. So we close next week. That'll be the last uh, study we do on the Book of Deuteronomy. In fact, on the entire Pentateuch. Um, tonight, we're going to look at chapters 28 through 30, and we actually started looking at those uh, last week. Um, briefly, uh, we've mostly spent time looking at chapter 27. Let me, let me start by talking a little bit about an overview of what this chapter is all about. It's one of the longest chapters in Scripture, and it consists of two parts. It consists of the blessings and the curses, whether they listen or they don't. That's essentially what this whole chapter is all about. By the way, anyone new here? Anyone coming for the first time? All right. Welcome. And the reason I'm asking this question is because you may not have heard of this business of blessing and curses before. So I'm going to introduce them. Uh, I'm going to introduce that again to your attention and to the others as well. Because it's really a difficult concept for us to absorb because we've never been taught that. Right? We've, we've all grown up. Can you all hear me well, by the way? Yeah? In the back? Yeah? We've all grown up hearing about God's love, which is wonderful. We all need to hear about God's love. And, uh, by the way, one of the best ways you can hear about God's love is in, yeah, in the Mass, but there's another place I was thinking of. Confession. Confession. Why am I singling out confession? Because during Mass, you don't hear somebody saying to you directly, right? Mm-hmm. And I absolve you of all your sins. You don't hear that, do you? No. In Mass. When you go to confession, you're there and the priest is speaking in the name of Christ. And you better believe it. What that priest is saying, Christ is saying to you. Directly. And when he says, I absolve you from all your sins, it means that your sins are forgiven by God. You want a greater sign of love than that? Huh? So, notice how we want to hear about God's love, but we really don't want to hear about God's love. Because most of us simply don't go to confession often. So what we really mean usually, and this is my, my beef with this whole business of God's love. We don't mean that we want to hear about God's love. We want to hear about God saying, you can do whatever you want and I'll forgive you. That's what we want to hear. 
Just be good people and I'll forgive you. That's it. But we take God for a fool if we think it works this way. Because think about it if you're a father. Would you, would you as a father, send your son to die on the cross so that people could say to you, all right, we're going to go do whatever we want. We'll be good people and you forgive us. Would you be happy with that? Well, then how could you hope God the Father to be happy with that kind of attitude? You understand? All right. So, God's love is in the confessional because this is what Jesus won for us. The ability to hear somebody say to us, your sins are not forgiven, absolved. Not the same thing. The priest doesn't say, and I forgive you. That'd be nice of him if you'd done something to him. I don't know, you stole a candy or you did something that wasn't nice to the priest. He can say to you, I forgive you. That's him, his prerogative. But that's not what he says. He says, I absolve you. He's speaking in the name of Christ. Because only God can absolve, absolve, take away, dissolve, make disappear, clean, sin. No man can do so. Only God can, right? That is God's love. So, we're all grown up with this notion of God loves us. Yes, God loves us, but God has expectation. Because at the end of the day, God doesn't love us more than God loves himself. Do you understand what I just said? God does not love us more than he loves himself. Meaning, meaning that whatever justice is due to God, whatever justice is due to God, unless it is forgiven by the blood of Christ, it is still due God. It doesn't go away. Yeah? And that ties in into this business of the covenant that has blessings and curses. God bless, God curses. Now, you might ask me, okay, how does God curse? Or how does God bless? The answer of how God does, how does God bless is what? What is the blessing of God? If you were to summarize all the blessings that God can give you in one word, what would that be? Grace is a wonderful word. I completely agree. But... How would grace manifest itself in your life? I suppose this is what I'm asking. Thank you. Peace. Right? And peace comes in two forms. Peace of mind, peace of heart. Peace of mind means what? Peace of mind means you know the truth and you have accepted the truth. That is peace of mind. Peace of mind does not mean everything is according to your plan. Peace of mind does not mean the world is running the way you want it to run. Peace of mind means you've accepted the truth of who you are, who God is, and you're in line with it intellectually. That's peace of mind. What is peace of heart? Peace of heart is when that truth that is intellectual seeps into your virtues. And now your body and your heart, emotions and behavior are all aligned with the truth. Then you have peace of mind. That, my friend, is blessing. Yes? That's blessing. So what is a curse? In a sense, it's the absence of what I just said. But not completely. Not completely. Not completely. Because those who are not under this covenant, those who are not living by the grace of God, who are not baptized... If they do not have peace of mind, in a sense, it's not a direct curse because God has not, has not 
given them that grace of being baptized. Therefore, being children of grace. But to those who have, to those of the house, if they do not have peace of mind and peace of heart, it is for one reason and one reason only. And that's the thing we don't accept. But that's the truth. They are rebelling against God in so many different ways. And by the way, we're all in that boat. But hopefully in small things. But we're all in that boat. Our anxiety, our lack of peace of mind and peace of heart stems primarily from our sins. Now, I'll give you a more stark example of God's curse and God's blessing. Especially for those of us who are married or are thinking about marriage. You are a Catholic. You come to be married in the Catholic Church. That means that you're open to life. In two ways. Open to life, by the way, does not mean immediately having children. We tend to sidestep a very important element of open to life. Open to life, if you want to be open to life, especially the guys, look at the cross. Christ was open, literally, physically, and life came forth out of him. That means you're dying for your wife. That's being open to life. That means she comes before the games, she comes before the buddies, she comes before your plans, before your work, before everything else, your wife. That is open to life. And then, having children. If you do so, God will bless you. Regardless if you're a great guy, not a great guy, regardless if you have 14,000 defects, it doesn't matter. God will cover all of that and will give you more than you'd ever think. He will make up for all your deficiencies because you said, I believe. If you're not, so you say, oh, no, 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 no. We can't have too many kids. It's too expensive. We have to send them to college. It costs way too much money. And you come up with all these wonderful excuses that are nothing more than a cover for our own selfishness and our disbelief. That's what they are. When you do so, God curses you. How? You get rebellious kids. They don't listen. They don't go to church. And you grow estranged and alone. And you don't do that to yourself. Make, make sure you understand what I'm saying. God has an active part in it. You're not doing it to yourself. God is doing it to you. That's the part we don't understand. We don't want to, we don't want to accept that, you see? We have a hard time with that concept. Because it seems as if God is evil. God is doing an evil thing to me. No. Because everything is to the greater glory of God. And your punishment and your curse is to his greater glory. That's why in the end, in the grand scheme of things, it is a good. It's hard for us to think this way because we're not brought to think, brought to think this way. So we take God for granted. And, well, what if I don't go to Mass on Sunday? Ah, nothing's going to happen. No, nothing's going to happen. The only thing's going to happen is that if you don't go to Mass on Sunday, objectively, I'm saying somebody who just decided doesn't want to go out of laziness, there's a game or something, I don't feel like going to Mass, I'm going to sit home. Objectively, he's holding a one-way ticket to hell in his hand. Now notice, he did not grab that ticket. He didn't buy it. All he said is that, I'm not going to go to Mass, I don't feel like it. That's all he said. 
But he ended up with that ticket in his hand because God put it there. And the whole purpose of chapter 28 is, if I were to summarize it in modern terms, Moses telling the Israelites, don't mess with God. Don't. At the very basic level, before we get to compassion and mercy and Jesus dying for us on the cross, God is a divinity. We don't even understand what that means. We have no way of understanding what God is. We can begin even to explain what God is. It's so much beyond us in so many different ways that it is absolutely incredible that we can even think about it. It is so beyond our understanding what God is. And the proof is very simple. Can anyone here explain to me what a... Uh, what 70 trillion dollars mean? Do you have a sense of what that means? I think if you say a million, we have a sense, right? Well, I mean, especially in California, you can have a, you can have a million and be poor, right? Right? We, we, we have a sense because there are homes that cost a million bucks, right? So you have an idea. Okay. A billion. Billion is harder. Right? Can you perceive a billion? What, what does that mean? Well, what a trillion is. But a trillion is a teeny small quantity that is finite. God is infinite. So what am I saying to you? I'm saying to you at the very basis when we have a proper relationship with God, we must acknowledge He is divinity. It is beyond us. And He created us. He decided what we must be. Anybody here decided to have two ears? How many of you wish to have four arms? You know, two to cook with, one to hold the iPad, and one to slap the kid. I mean, you know, can you have four arms? Can you change? God decided you're going to have only two. He created us. Therefore, as a creator, he has ultimate control over what happens to us. Yeah, yeah, there is free will. Absolutely, he gave it to us. Through free will, his will is done. Through free will, his will is done. God is not bounded by free will. So, when he says, listen, and by the way, families completely understand that. You have a kid, right? He's not doing his homeworks. What do you say to the kid? Okay, you don't finish your homework, you don't watch a movie. You don't see your friends. Right? Where are you getting that kind of pedagogy from? Where is it coming from? From the covenant. It's the same thing. God is not doing something so strange. We do it to our kids. If your kid gets up on drugs and he's threatening the other kids, what do you do with a kid? If you're good parents. You kick him out of the house. You don't keep him. Yeah? That's the right thing to do. That's the just thing to do. That's what God does. And these blessings and curses were written for Israel to be mindful of who the Lord is. And so should we. So should we. So let's look at them in terms of their categories. I've broken them in terms of categories to help you understand their effect. Because even though the specific curses may not apply to us directly, I think those categories still apply. They haven't changed. And you just have to look how people live out there to see that that is indeed the case. Some people are anxious because the world 
seems to be out of control. Some people are anxious because Christianity is receding. They take that as a sign of weakness on the part of the church and of strength on the part of the world. But if they had a covenantal view on the world, on this whole matter, they would recognize it for what it is. They would recognize it for what it is. God's curses being triggered. When, when the church recedes, when the church is pulled away from the Middle East, what happens? The church is the bride of Christ. She speaks the truth. When the church recedes, what recedes with her? Truth. Therefore, the world is left in darkness. That is God's curse. Do you understand? It's not about, oh, you know, we're just weak, us, poor us, we're just, you know, they're, they're the gay agenda, they're triumphing. Pray for them. Pray for them, be in awe, and watch what God will do. But as far as their souls are concerned, pray real hard. They need prayers. They don't know what they're doing. Categories on the blessings. Peace of mind. Peace in the family. Order in nature. Prosperity. Security. Glory. Holiness. Did we miss anything? Those are the categories of blessings. Have we missed anything? Peace of mind. Peace in the family. Prosperity, meaning you have what you need. You don't have to worry about what you're going to eat tomorrow. Security. You can walk outside and not worry about your kids being abducted. Glory. Sharing in God's glory and holiness. We're missing anything? No. Love is what's behind all of this. Yes? Yeah. So, and by the way, to your point, though, this is Old, old Covenant, Old Testament. God's grace is not flowing. So it can only be material. Okay? It's only in the New Testament with Jesus coming that grace can flow. So even that holiness that is mentioned here, we'd call it back then righteousness. You can be righteous in God's eyes, but you're not being sanctified because grace has not yet flown into the world. The Holy Spirit has not been sent yet. About what? Health. Prosperity. That's Definitely. Health is part of your prosperity, right? So your health, your uh, house, your cattle, your everything is prosperous. Yes. Ah, how about the poor? Very good question. How about the poor? You can be materially poor and still be blessed. You can still have peace of mind, peace in your family, order in nature around you. Prosperity meaning you're not starving. You're having what you need to eat. Hmm? You're secure. You have an interior glory and you're righteous, even though you're poor. Yeah? So, and by the way, the blessings here, just to be clear, apply for all of Israel. There were not blessings for each individual. Because that concept did not yet exist as such, me as an individual are my rights. 
that is not something part of the consciousness, consciousness of Israel back then. It's the tribe. It's the entire um, um, 12 tribes of Israel that will receive all those things. Yeah? Now, definitely, we can take them today and apply them to ourselves on a moral reading. How do I have peace of mind? Do I have peace of mind? Right? Do I have these blessings? And if I don't, why not? Well, the first place to look are what? The Ten Commandments and then the commandments of the church. Am I obeying both? If I'm not, let me fix that. Go to confession, ask for God's forgiveness, and he will bless me. He will receive me, and he will bless me. Yeah? So, again, I'm not saying any of that stuff to sort of, um, you know, I'm not condemning anybody and I'm not judging anyone. That's not my role. And you notice the church does not judge. Only Christ does. The, the role of somebody who is teaching scripture is to speak the truth and share it with you. But it's not my job or my business to find out what you're doing. In you, and I don't ask, actually, uh, to find out what you guys are doing. It's not my business. But I'm saying this so I can be very clear on the intent of what is being taught here. This is something that we need to think about individually and see which areas of our lives require more attention. Right? Now, to also complement what I'm saying, because I don't want it to be taken in one extreme or the other, I told you last week, I believe, or the week before, I don't remember, if you know of somebody who, is, who has fallen, let's say, in a habitual sin, and they're unable to get out of it, they go to confession, they're praying, they're saying the rosary, they're doing a bunch of stuff, and they keep on repeating that sin. Does that mean they're cursed by God? No. This is very important. Because we tend to translate things the wrong way. We think that because I'm falling in the same sin over and over again, I must be, you know, God doesn't love me. It's the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite. What God is doing to me when I'm falling into this sin over and over again is humbling me. He's teaching me his faithfulness and his love. And he's teaching me to trust him above all else. That he will put an end to that sinfulness. And usually when that happens, it is because there are a bunch of other things that is very easy for the person to fall into. So for instance, vanity is, one, is a big one. Vanity is a really ugly sin. And it's a hard one to break. Um, so here I am. I, you know, I have, I'm, I'm addicted to broccoli. And um, I fight with anybody who wants to buy broccoli at a store. Because I want the whole thing for myself. So every week I go to confession and I confess that I'm addicted to broccoli. And I'm really sorry, sincerely sorry about it. And I pray. And the next week I go to the store and I see the broccoli and I just go crazy. Do it again. And again, and again, and again, and again, and again. And it's been 20 years. 20 years doing the same thing can lead you to despair. Can um, provoke in you depression. Can cause so many ailments and so many problems. And the fact that you don't have them is because the Holy Spirit is holding you through the whole thing. He's carrying you. So you wonder, well, why does he just do any, something about it? Why do I have to go through this every week? Why? 
Well, because if he actually did, did take away that sin, guess what would happen? I'll stand in front of the mirror, look at myself, and infallibly proclaim I'm a saint. Which is a far worse sin than being addicted to broccoli. You understand? So what, God, what, what, what does God do in his pedagogy? He will heal me from that sin for maybe two, three, four weeks. Wait for the other one to sprout. And when the other one sprouted, whack me on the head by getting me to fall in another sin again. To teach me who I am. And we're so stubborn and hard-hearted that it takes a long time for us to learn who we are. That's why. If God is treating you this way, so how do you know that God has mercy on you? Is if you, every time you commit those sins, you run to confession. Right? You run to confession. You run to confession. You keep on going to confession. So in Jesus' eyes, what are you doing? You're trusting Him. You're hoping in Him. You're loving Him. Faith, hope, charity. You're exercising three, cardinal, uh, three theological virtues and you're doing it over and over again and you're contrite. And so he's protecting you from pride. He's defending you against envy. He's defending you against so many other dangers that you're not even aware of because you're falling into this one. This is how God sometimes treats some of us. Others like St. Teresa, little child. Jesus don't need any of those things. Those guys are like a cruise missile, right? Press that button and then three minutes later they're in heaven. So, again, I want to make clear that we don't, we know that God blesses, God curses, but it does not mean that we can draw a list and apply it, right, uniformly to everyone. And it's not our business, by the way, to go around and say, oh, this guy's blessed and this guy's cursed. Not, the other, not one, not the other. It's not our business, it's God's. Hmm? So, anxiety, anxiety. I don't mean anxiety attacks, by the way. I mean real anxiety. It's one thing for you to be in the kitchen and then suddenly be very anxious about what happened to your husband. That's an attack. That's a demon attacking you. You can push it away. I mean being in a state of constant anxiety. How do you know that? Well, nothing. You can't enjoy anything. Right? You have money in the bank. You're afraid you're going to lose it. You have a new car. You're afraid somebody's going to ding the car. You go to the restaurant. You're afraid you're going to get poisoned. You understand? Being in that kind of state of anxiety, you need to go back and question yourself and, and then ask God, okay, what is going on here? Right? And again, I want to reiterate, if you are anxious just the way I described, it does not mean it's a curse. I don't want you to think it's automatic. It isn't. Right? Be aware that at the end of the day, if you stay in this way and you're, 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 you're pulling away from the church and you're pulling away from the sacraments and you're moving away from God, right? something is going on. You need to, to see to it and figure out what it is. Now, take it to the level of the society. More important, not to the individual. Look at our society. You want to know if we're anxious? Watch the stock market. Yeah? yeah? Watch the stock market. Oh, the prime minister of China sneezed. Stock market loses 200 points. What do you call that? I'm slightly exaggerating, obviously, but not by much. Anyway, anxiety. Dissension and breakdown of the family. 
dissension and breakdown of the family. Uh, I tell you right away, if Christmas is a nightmare, if having family over is a nightmare, somebody is either contracepting, somebody has had abortion, somebody did something to bring all that in. Because that's not what God wants for the family. He wants every family to mirror Nazareth where he lived. The holy family. That's what he wants. That's his plan for the family. So you know, in that case, you absolutely know with complete certainty that is not from God. Because this does not lead to God. And you know what I'm talking about. Brothers and sisters fighting. They cannot stand each other. People can't talk to their mothers. The mother being completely overbearing or the father being an absentee and doesn't care. And that's not what God wants. And you don't get there unless the Holy Spirit has departed. You understand you don't get there with the Holy Spirit. You understand that? Because that would be blasphemy. To think that the Holy Spirit is present in your house and bless your house and you end up in that state like this is blasphemy. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. Yeah? Natural disasters. Need I say more? Natural disasters. Failure. Failure. Of all kind. Economy. Plans, failure of all kind. Right? Why? Why? Because especially guys and, and gals who work in companies, one of the biggest sin we fall in without even noticing is attributing success to ourselves. You understand attributing success to ourselves is a form of atheism. I can do it. I can do it. Right? And that provokes God's wrath because I just completely ignored him. Yeah? I'm acting like a kid who's seven years old at home telling his dad, I am the one who's feeding the family. Now, correction, he doesn't even talk to his dad. He turns his back on his dad and tells everybody else, you're eating here is because of me. I'm making it happen. How do you feel as a dad? Or, you know, the, the house is perfectly clean. It's because of me. I'm the one cleaning it. How do you feel about that as parents? And I'm not saying something who's cute. He's not being cute. He means it. What do you think your action would be then? Give him a lollipop? Pat him on the head and tell him, good job? Is that what you're going to do? What do you need to do? You need to get him to see that What? Is wrong. He's seven years old and he can do nothing. The difference is that we, grown-ups, think we're different. See? We think we, because we're grown-ups, we can do things on our own. We don't need God. So failure is a wonderful way for God to teach us we need him. Poverty. And by poverty, we don't mean not having what we need. We mean also... Not having enough to eat. Now, I need to qualify what I'm saying. Because by these words, it would seem as if all of Africa is cursed. It doesn't work that way. That's why I'm, very, I'm, I'm repeating myself. I am not here judging. I don't look at the world and then start labeling them. That's very Protestant. right? I don't do that. It's much more complicated than that. That's why God says judgment is mine. 
not yours. Right? It's a complicated situation. Nevertheless, there's another kind of poverty we can talk to that is a little clearer, which is spiritual poverty. So you're a Catholic, you don't know your faith, you go to Mass and you're bored, you have no idea why you're there, and you don't really care. The result of that is that there is a real spiritual hunger in you that you're going to cover in different ways. You're going to cover listening to rock and roll. You're going to cover listening to, you know, drinking booze. You're going to do a bunch of other crazy stuff because you're really hungry. That's the kind of poverty we're talking about here. All right. Disease. Especially incurable kinds of disease. And then um, defeat in war. Famine. Exile and captivity. Exile and captivity. Yes. Yes. So especially Christians from the Middle East, you see, we tend to blame the others. The reason why we got exiled is because of them. Right? Much like what the Israelites did back then. Well, we are at least our people of God. These other barbarians are a lot worse than us. Right? But that's not what Daniel did. That's why to all of the Christians in the Middle East, I do recommend you read the book of Daniel, especially the prayer of Daniel, and make it your own. Make it your own. God does not need the United States to keep Christians in the Middle East. He needs faith. Hmm. So if the United States is set to bomb the Middle East, right? they have plans, right? And the United States is so mightier than God that their plans escape His. Or if we pray, their plans cannot be stopped because they're mighty and no one can stop them. You understand what I'm trying to tell you? No, no, no. I want you to understand this very, very well because if you think that politics trump faith, there's a much bigger problem. And a lot of folks from the Middle East tend to think this way. They make their politics their God. Because in their minds, nothing is stronger than political might. Not even God. But God governs politics. That's what you have to understand. And you have to accept it by faith. And trust that God would work through politics to make His will known. If we trust Him. But as long as we say, well, politics you know, govern the world, what can we do? It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You understand? Yeah. Yes. Yes. So... That's a wonderful idea, yeah. Praying the psalm will be very helpful because many, many psalms, Psalm 2, Psalm 91, which you're alluding to, and Psalm 26, many psalms. David, who was then being pursued by, um, uh, by uh, what's his name again? Saul. Saul, right. Huh, I just realized now, Saul and Saul of Tarsus. It's interesting. Didn't hit me before, that's why I hesitated. Yeah, Saul. Saul had all the might. Saul was the United States. David was one guy. And Saul was pursuing him to crush him. I'm just using that image to say, if let, I'm not, I don't mean by that that the uh, United States is an evil country. I just mean that, that Saul was very strong. The United States is very strong. That's the correlation I want you to keep in mind. All right, Nothing more than that. And David was tiny. He was one. God was with him. That's what Emmanuel means. God is with us. And if we believe that and pray and act this way, 
even though we may be exiled, we'll come back, we'll go back. That's his promise. That's his promise. The problem is that we have to believe it, like children do. No, 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 no. There is no situation to make you lose hope. Let's be very clear. No situation will make you lose hope. You lose hope on your own. No, no. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying to you exactly, in the, from the beginning, from the get-go, hope was not in them. Because even if you are exiled to the ends of the world, if you believe and trust that God's will is being done, you will rejoice in it. That's what you have to understand. We all have to understand that. If we love God more than we love our country, our home, our family, these, this is not my words, this is Jesus now, right? Then no matter where you are, no matter where you live, you will have these blessings. We don't lose hope because somebody makes you lose hope. We lose hope because we were not exercising hope to begin with. Yes, yes. It's an attitude of the heart that is so important for all of us to exercise in small things and in big things. Yes, yes, exactly. Yes, or that cardinal, I forgot his name actually, he was from China. He was in prison and then he spent seven years, seven years in solitary confinement. He was tortured. And finally, when he was old, they let him go. He came to the United States. They invited him for a speech. He stepped up on the podium and said four words. No pope, no church. No pope, no church. That's what he said. And that's a man who was in seven years in solitary confinement who could have believed that the pope did nothing for him. He didn't lose hope. No. That's what we need to get over. We need to get over that notion that somehow politics is stronger than Jesus Christ. Or that the nations can decide what they want to do independent of his holy will. When we think this way, that's what we're going to get. Israel, uh, Isaiah was sent to, to a king of Israel and told him, don't go with the Egyptians. Because this guy was also thinking politics. Hey, the Babylonians are coming against me. I need somebody to defend me. I'm going to make a deal with the Egyptians. And Isaiah told him, ask a sign. This is the first time that actually he tells him, ask a sign. He says, no, no, no. Who am I to tempt God? I'm not going to ask a sign. He says, a sign will be given to you. A virgin shall conceive and she will bear a son. He went with the Egyptians and he lost. He trusted in politics. I would have a lot more to say about that, but I'm just going to confine myself to this. Anyway, exile and captivity, national destruction, disgrace, slavery, death, no proper burial, and false worship. That's the worst. Uh, no proper burial, we can expand that a little bit more and say, for instance, sudden death. One thing we all pray for is to avoid sudden death. Why? And uh, yeah, on a human level, you think, hey, I went, I went fast. Boom, done. True, true. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an advantage. It's a pro. There could be a con to that pro. Which is that you might end up in hell for eternity. Yeah? So what happens when you receive the last rite? Do you know? When you receive the last rite, if you are on your deathbed and you receive the last rite, 
by the power of that sacrament. No, you don't go straight to heaven. By the power of that sacrament orients you to heaven. Meaning, you're going to heaven. You might have to stop by purgatory for maybe, let's say, three or four thousand years. But, what's three or four thousand years in terms of eternity, right? At least you know when you're in purgatory, there is no way back. That's it. Not only there's hope, it, only can, it can only get better. It can't get worse. That's it. That's it. It can't get worse. It will only get better. Not bad, is it? So, if you have time, again, if you avoid sudden death, you're on deathbed, maybe then you might want to wear a scapular. Start thinking how you might be able to work on that purgatory period, right? Maybe you offer those sufferings in union with the suffering of Christ to do your purgatory down here. Maybe you think for, you ask somebody to pray for you. Maybe you ask your relatives that when you die, they will actually contact a priest who will be willing to say these 31 masses for you, consecutive, 31 Gregorian masses, at the end of which you will be joyfully ejected from purgatory. Look into it. All the means to make it to heaven have been made available to us. God is overly generous. They're there. Point is, if you avoid sudden death, you got time to think about all that. But if you don't, E, it hurts. Yeah? Okay. So, if you now look at all the categories I listed, from anxiety to dissension, breakdown of the family, natural disasters, failure, poverty, disease, defeat in war, famine, exile and captivity, national destruction, disgrace, slavery, death, no proper burial, false worship. Is there an area of your life that is not covered? No. What is then the intent here? God rules every area of our lives. There isn't one that escapes him. And so the whole point of these blessings and curses were to help Israel constantly remember, I'm not alone. God is with me. God wants to bless me. That's his desire for me. I should obey. That's the better part. That's the better deal, if I obey. Okay? All right. The only thing I'll point out in that chapter is verse 63. I'm sorry. And listen carefully to this verse. Because I know when I told you earlier that it is God... It is God who does these things to you. I want you to hear this verse and memorize it. Verse 63, chapter 28. Verse 63, chapter 28. And as the Lord took delight in doing you good and multiplying you, and as the Lord took delight in doing you good and multiplying you, so the Lord will take delight in bringing ruin upon you and destroying you. I'm hoping that you're starting to see how much of us are being fed a false gospel. And not, by the way, I don't mean by that that the priests are feeding us a wrong gospel. That's not what I mean. I mean the world. We're allowing the world to take hold of our consciousness and transform our cultural understanding of who God is. We don't read the scriptures the way they should be read. I'm going to repeat that verse because it is... It's not what you usually hear, right? 
And as the Lord took delight in doing you good and multiplying you, so the Lord will take delight in bringing, you, bringing ruin upon you and destroying you. What does it mean for God to take delight? God delights only in the good. God delights only in the, in the beautiful. God delights in all that gives Him glory. Therefore, that destruction is, in God's sight, good and beautiful and brings Him glory. We don't understand that because we're not the Creator. Think of it this way. Let's say you're making a salad. You're making um, a tabbouleh. Now, one ingredient in tabbouleh is what? Tomatoes. You need tomatoes. Suppose you're a tomato. What's your fate? You're going to get chopped into bits, thrown into a bowl, mixed with a bunch of green stuff. You have no idea what those things are. It's total chaos. And then you're going to end up eaten, digested by somebody. Is that strong enough for you? Yeah. Does that evoke strong reaction? Yeah. I hope it did. But you preparing the tabbouleh, aren't you taking delight in what you're doing to that tomato? Yeah. You are. Because you know the end result, which a tomato can never comprehend. Yeah? Well, that example I gave you, is infinitely smaller, infinitely smaller than what God is doing with each one of us. It'll be easier for the tomato to understand what I just said than for us to understand what God is doing with us. But no, we think we do, see? Because we've got plans. And Jesus is good and forgiving, so we can do whatever we want and He forgive us. See how we got it all laid out? See how dangerous this is? See where it can take us? If you think this way, why come and pray? Why come receive the Eucharist? You got it already made. You're going to heaven. Everybody goes to heaven, right? Why bother come to church? Why pray? Why take God seriously? You got it made. Let's go think about more important stuff like the Lord. Yeah? So remember this verse. Meditate on it. And again, please don't misunderstand it. It's not like God going, no, 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 I told you so. You should have listened to me. That's not the light. That's not at all what I mean. You you understand that, right? Yeah, okay. Yes. Oh, no, not at all. No, no, no. The the darkness that you're talking about is a, a state in which God withdraws all Sensible support. So using the senses, and even the interior senses, if you will, of God's presence, all that is withdrawn. And it, it seems to the person undergoing this as if they are left, not just exteriorly alone. Here's how I would describe it. Take solitary confinement, take that and put it into someone's heart. It's not just that you're physically solitary confined. Inside your heart, you're solitary. There's nothing. Yeah? But underneath all that, the Holy Spirit is holding them, but they cannot see him. Yeah. A very different experience. Yeah. All right. Now, so in chapter 29, Moses then is, is, is exhorting them to observe the covenant. He understands what, what's at stake. So he's pleading with them to listen to the covenant and observe it. A few verses that are worth pointing out. 
Verse 4, very strong verse. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a mind to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. Words that Jesus will repeat over and over and over again in the Gospels. And by the way, Jesus wasn't any nicer than that, right? When the, the, the apostles asked the Lord, why are you speaking in parables? What did Jesus tell them? Well, he, he asked, they asked him, explain to us the parable of the sower. He told them, to you it is given to understand the kingdom of God. But to them it wasn't. It's not. So that's why he's talking to them in parable, because they're not supposed to understand. What does it mean they don't have ears to hear and eyes to see? Mind to understand. What is lacking here? Grace and the reception of grace. Two things are lacking in their case. Grace hasn't flown yet. And the ability to receive grace. In our case, grace is here. We have to receive it. How do we receive grace? First, by faith. When we stand before God and we say, I believe that if you want to do this, you can do it. And if you give me the desire, it means you will do it in your time. I firmly believe this. And I trust in you. And to repeat that every day. Believing against all odds, against all sensible odds, that God will do what he said he would do. That is so critical. Especially, especially, especially in situations where there is dissension between the husband and the wife. Whenever there is a dissension in between the husband and the wife that is repeated, that, is, that comes over and over again, that's when this prayer has to be said. That's when we have to avail ourselves of the saints and trust that God will, will that God is true and God will bring back peace and a greater peace than has been experienced yet. That's how we exercise our faith. By believing that he who established this covenant will make it happen, even if we are not able to. Verse 18, beware lest there be among you a man or a woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away this day from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. Watch for the community. He's again going back to what we saw in verse in chapter 27. Secret sins. Someone amongst the entire Israel who secretly decides to turn away from God. If that happens, one who, when he hears the words of, his, of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart, this would lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. Meaning, everybody will suffer because of this. So notice, oh, I'm fine. I'm, I'm maintaining appearances. I come to church. I pray. But I, I'll stay stubborn. I say doing what I want to do. I say saying what I want to say. And I will not change. I'm not going to change because I know my way is the right way. But oh yeah, I believe in God. What, what do you call this? What is the word that Jesus used? Say that louder. Hypocrisy. How many times you use that word, you hypocrite? That's hypocrisy. And nothing riled him more than hypocrisy. That wasn't the case of Israel, I right? Know, yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, even if you set aside faith, think about it. Somebody in the family pretends to love the other folks, but really doesn't. And has him, has his own interest in his mind. 
You think the family is not going to suffer? Just, uh, just on, a, on, a, on, on that level. Right? Yeah. So, what is, what, is, what is important here? Faith is not an individual thing. It's not Jesus and I. It was never Jesus and I. It was never God and I. And I don't care about the others. My faith isn't just for me. My faith is for you. Your faith isn't just for you. It is for everyone else. How does that manifest itself if you're open to this? You're in a train. Somebody's listening to music and is bothering you. One of two reactions. If you're self-centered, you get upset and angry about that person. If you are listening to God, you take that to be a sign. God wants me to pray for that person. That's why I'm here. That person is my brother in need of prayer. Yeah? That's why we all suffer. We don't have that kind of attitude in a society. We don't look towards the other and the need of others as if he is our brother or our sister. So therefore we suffer. We become lonely. Go visit the, uh, the, uh, the elderly. You want to see suffering? Go visit the elderly. I mean, elderly abuse is a huge crisis in this country and it's not even talked enough about. Go visit them. See in what, in what state they are. Loneliness. Not being cared for. Anxious. Nothing to look forward to. Waiting to die. Now, have these people contracepted before? Have they lived according to God's will? Did they call on God's blessings? I don't know. Questions we all have to ask ourselves. Here's verse 20. It's very striking. The Lord God will not pardon him. There is no forgiveness for someone who does that. But rather, the anger of the Lord and his jealousy would smoke, would smoke against that man. And the curses written in this book would settle upon him. And the Lord would blot out his name from under heaven. So to your question, it was him that is being. And the Lord would single him out from all the tribes of Israel for calamity in accordance with all the curses of the covenant written in this book of the law. All right. So concealed acts, concealed sins are known to God and he will punish them. But overt ones are our responsibility to punish. That was how Israel understood this teaching of Moses. So they, they, you can't allow a sin to go unpunished. Because then the whole, the entire community of Israel will suffer. And that hopefully next year when we start studying the book of St. Luke, you will hopefully understand what it meant when he says that of, of St. Joseph, he was a righteous man. Okay, because again, we color that by modern words and we think righteous means sensitive. No, righteous means what you just read here. Yeah. All right. I'll say one uh, word on chapter 30. Um, verse 1, chapter 30. Again, that, that is prophetic speech on Moses' part. And when all these things come upon you, not if all these things come upon you, when all these things come upon you. The blessing and the curse. 
when, which I have said before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you. He already foresaw what is going to happen. The blessing and the curse will come, and it will be the ruin of Israel, and it will be sent across the nations. Way before any political power came and did anything, he already foresaw, foresaw that this is going to happen to them. But watch, it's a, it's a word of uh, hope. And when you return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice and all that I command you this day, with all your heart, with all your soul, God will restore your fortunes and have compassion upon you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. Very odd image. Circumcise your heart. Circumcision is about the covenant. So circumcision of the heart means that the heart of man is now in the covenant. Right? And that cannot happen without baptism. So that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And then he adds... For this commandment shall command you this day is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will go up for us to heaven and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near to you, is very near you. It is in your mouth, in your heart, so that you can do it. See, I have said before you this day, life and good death, and evil. If you obey the, the commandments of the Lord, you're choosing life. Verse 19, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that I have said before you life and death, blessing and curse, therefore choose life that, you are, that your descendants may live. So again, your faith is not just for you. It is for all those who will come after you so that they may have life on your account. Loving the Lord, obeying His voice, cleaving to Him. For that means life to you and length of days that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. You, you, you should see the intensity in Moses' words. He's really concerned about them. He understands. He's, they're not going to make it. They're not going to stick to the blessings. He knows that already. He already sees how this movie plays. And the whole history of Israel bears bears him a witness that exactly what he said happened. Now think about yourself. Think about your own lives. Think about your family. Have you been faithful to the covenant? Have you been faithful to the Lord? Have you been seeking him with all your heart? Have you been trying to do his will? Have you been mindful of your soul? Have you been going to confession regularly? Have you been praying according to the time and energy you have. Is God on your mind? Are you thinking of Him? Is He part of your decisions? I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about doing all these things perfectly every single time. I'm not talking about never missing saying a rosary or you know, not committing any sin during the day. That's not what I'm talking about talking about your intent, your heart. If you answer yes to these things, then rejoice. In the midst of all the trouble that you may have, rejoice. Be at peace. God is with you. 
That's the meaning of Christmas. How can we have Christmas is in, on, on, in our own lives? We're not at peace with God. How can we have Christmas? You understand? So God sends difficulties our ways. Yes. There are challenges. And sometimes those challenges bring us to the edge of ourselves. Sometimes we think we're not going to make it. So he doesn't make it easy. Easy is not part of the vocabulary here. But he carries us forward. As long as we are willing to trust him and go back to him. He's always there to receive us. So, let us end with a word of prayer, and then we'll take some questions. Please stand. Yes, question. They lose consciousness, you mean? Yes. So your question is, what happens when they are in a coma? Right? Totally. But as long as before that, they've had time to set their matters right, and they have had received the sacraments, and they have accepted it, or have made clear that they want to receive the sacraments. As long as they've done all that. And so that's why preparation also doesn't start right when you are about to die, it's your whole life. So if you're going to church and you're practicing uh, your faith and you are practicing the sacraments, people know, yeah, you want the sacrament of, um, um, you know, the last sacrament, you know, the sacrament of the dead, right? Yes, the sick, the sick, not the dead. Sorry, my bad. Yes. Well, anyway, you want that. So even if you're in coma, they can give it to you because you've already before expressed your will that that's what you want. My point is that if you, throughout your entire life, have expressed the desire to receive it, you've already made it clear that that's what you want. You understand? Yeah. Yes. Provided that they have made, made it clear, right, that that's what they want. Because the sacraments, at the end of the day, will not apply against your, your, your will, other than in the case of an infant. But in the case of the infant, it's the parents who take charge. But in the case of somebody who has grown up, if somebody said, I don't want to go to church, I don't care about the church, I hate the priest, this and that and the other, you're not going to give him that sacrament. He's not asking for it. So but see, right, true, true. It is our responsibility to bring the priest. But think about what I just said. Peace of mind. You understand? In, I mean, I've, I've been witness to a lot of people dying. I'm going to tell you, when you watch a holy death, it is edifying. It's edifying. And there's no ambiguity. Now, we're not saying this person is canonized. We're not saying this person is going straight to heaven. But you know what? You have peace of mind. And there's a a form of joy in your heart seeing what happened. Yeah. That's part of the gift of God to the family. That's part of the consolation. You understand what I'm saying to you? Okay. Keep that in mind also. It's not supposed to be a mystery. Yeah. (laughs) But if it is, that's what I'm talking about. Don't assume automatically. You receive this, that, then that, that's going to work, whether he wants it or not. It doesn't work this way. Yeah. Yes. No, even after a while, but uh, about the Gregorian message I mentioned, but you need to find a priest who's willing to do it. And uh, I have the details at home, and I keep forgetting to bring them. Maybe hopefully next week I'll bring you the details. Yes, the society. Thank you. Yes. Yes. No. no. I mean, absolutely. Please, please. No, no. Don't get me wrong. Every Mass is wonderful and precious for the person who died, right? This is a specific indulgence given by the church to whomever, to, if there is a priest. This, it, it has to be the same priest who's going to re, 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 uh, say, I think, 31 Masses or something like that. 30? 30, 30 Masses. I added one, I think, just to be on the safe side. 30 Masses. 30. 
One is enough. Oh, okay, good. Mila Christie's, yes, yes. So I'm going to put my name over there just to be on the safe side. Yes. You have a family that doesn't believe in God. They're atheist, agnostic. Agnostic. Yes. Very good question. The question is, you have a family member or someone you know who is an atheist, right? Uh, how, effect, how effective is the chapter of divine mercy? It's if, efficaciousness. Is that a word? Thank you. I was getting there. Efficacy. That efficacy. That, that thing. Yes. How well it works. Depends more on you than on them. Okay. Why is that? Let me repeat it again. You should have known that by now, but I'm going to repeat it just for you, Marina. Again, our faith is not God and I. It's a family. So, if there is someone who is beloved by God and comes and says, I want I want him with me in heaven. God will make that happen just because this person asked. That's it. That's the power of love. That's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. So the question is, what you know, it's not about them, it's about you. Right? It's about you. So one story I can tell you is about this woman who was hit by lightning and suffered third degree burn throughout all her body. I mean, she should have been dead. And she was not a believer. She had had an abortion already. Yeah, she had had an abortion. She was not a believer. And she stood before God for her personal judgment. And the reason why she was given a second chance is because while she was in coma in the hospital, some hundreds of kilometers away, maybe even in a different country, I don't know, a different city, far away anyways, there is this poor man who was going to buy fish got to the store, got some fish, and as they do in these countries, they roll the fish in a newspaper. And on his way back, he's looking at the newspaper, and her story was right there. He fell on his knees, right there, and prayed for her. And told God that he would do a pilgrimage or something. A pilgrimage for her. That's why she actually was given a second chance. Not because she deserved it, because she didn't, but because he asked the Lord. He moved his heart. That's it. Yeah? She completely changed her life. Yeah. She's completely transformed. She's a different person. Yes. So there are different types of scapulars. The one I'm talking about is the brown scapular, which is effectively a sign that you're associated with the order of Carmel. And it needs to be brown. It has to have a brown cloth. I don't know. The question is, if you actually wear the brown scapular as a jewelry. No, no, they turn it into a jewelry. They make it into gold. Yeah, into gold or something. Does it keep its efficacy? And I cannot comment on that. All that I would say is that the spirit of Mount Carmel is not in gold or jewelry. So I would say that even for these reasons, you probably want to stay away from it. But I cannot comment further on that. That's not something I can say much about. Yes. Very good question. Is God's will... To keep the Christian there or to make him leave? I can't obviously tell you that because, number one, I'm not God, thank God. And number two, he hasn't yet made his will obviously very clear. There are two, you, we, it can be played one of two ways. First is that he wants them to leave. And the reason why he wants them to leave is because he's about to bring a calamity to the whole area. So it's for protection. Why am I saying that? Because 
um, after Christ died, when the, the Israelites rebelled against the Romans, the, um, the Christians understood the prophecies given by Christ, particularly in St. Luke, speaking of the soldiers, the, the army surrounding Jerusalem, and they all left Jerusalem. Now think about Jewish Christians leaving Jerusalem, right? From the outside in, you think it's a disaster. They're leaving Jerusalem. They all went to a little town called Pella. And not one Christian died when Jerusalem was destroyed. So that's one scenario. The other scenario is, uh, could be thought of the, the opposite one, which is um, he wants them to leave as part of the punishment that he is giving them due to sin and unbelief and um, for purification. Because when these things happen, the only ones that remain are the ones that have faith. The other ones sort of disappear. They stop being calling themselves Christian. So that is a second, and sometimes it's commingled, it's both. But we can't say these things until the dust has settled, we can look back, uh, because we don't have God's vision. We can only watch, pray, and observe. But it is not clear to me at this point um, when you look at what the events of the, of the of Middle East, I mean, you watch, number one, nobody defends the Christians in the Middle East. And then many, many Christians look at that with a lot of bitterness, that there's nobody defending us, because they're not understanding God's will. He wants them not to be defended by anyone, because he wants them to understand that he is their defender, because they're seeking the, the protection from everybody except him. You understand? So it's a purification. It's a purification of intent. That is absolutely happening. And there is martyrdom also. That is blood shed for the sake of others. And there is also um, um, uh, a sort of a form of a wrath that is bringing on the whole region by allowing the faith to recede. Like, for instance, right now, these um, uh, terrorists has, have... Uh, um, is, are occupying an old monastery in Malula in Syria, where the nuns are. It was never, never happened before. Yeah, would you think that God could not have protected the nuns if he wanted to? He's allowing that to happen for a, for a reason. We just have to wait, pray, ponder, observe, not lose hope, not lose faith, not become bitter, keep believing in God that he's bringing about a great thing, and watch what it is. Yeah? At the end of the day, those who believe are always blessed. Always. Always. Absolutely. But it is not any dark, darker than when Christ died on the cross. Well then, right? Yes. Yes. Very good. Thank you for asking this question. Many of the curses that you see are, so the question is, is it possible that through a curse God brings somebody close to him? Many of the curses are tend to be medicinal. Right? Yes, absolutely. Look at what happened in Egypt. Remember the study we've done on Egypt, the, the plagues? All the initial plagues were so that what? Pharaoh can change his heart. Recognize he's not God and accept God's... Had Pharaoh fell on his, uh, on his knees and said, Lord, you are the only God there is, I worship you. Everything would have changed. So those curses were medicinal. The last ones were not. Yeah? Definitely. 
Is it harder to be in a state of grace? Is that what you're asking? Is it hard to be in a state of grace? No, it's not hard to be in a state of grace. It's impossible. Wait a minute. For us. For us. It's impossible. We cannot be in a state of grace. Why? Well, we're sinners. Yeah, but what does that mean? Look, can you be a millionaire unless you have ways to generate money? Can you? If you have a million bucks, but you have no way of bringing money in, will you be a millionaire tomorrow? No. No, right? Okay, very good. Can we generate grace? Therefore, can we be in a state of grace if we cannot generate grace? Okay, what do we need? God. Now, when God is with us and He's giving us grace, can we add anything to that? Not really. Right? All we can do is our intent, our thankfulness, our, our love that we can give back to God, and a few things like that. Right? So now, the question you should ask is, can God keep us in a state of grace? And to this one, absolutely. Yes? Okay. God bless you. We hope you've enjoyed this talk from Carbono. For more information about this and other talks, please visit our website at www.carbono.com. Thank you and God bless you.